everybody. Welcome back to Thrillers by the Book Club podcast. I'm Chelsea. And I'm Olivia. And we are so excited to be talking to you today about thrillers. Yeah, So excited. We're so, so excited. excited. We always are. But today we're extra excited because we have a super cool guest. Yes. Like, super cool. It's a, the type of guest that we've never, ever had before. Olivia, mm-hmm. tell us about our guest today. Absolutely. So our guest is Leah Mall. She is the assistant editor at Mira Books, which is an imprint under Harlequin Trade Publishing and HarperCollins. She's also a writer who graduated from the creative writing program at UBC. Her short fiction won the 2018 CBC Short Story Prize and the 2020 Bronwyn Wallace Award. And her debut novel, Sharp Edges, was published in 2022 based out of Toronto. Leah Mall, thank you so much for joining us today. Hello. Oh, thank you. I'm so honored to be the first type of uh, this kind of guest. Yes. We're so excited. Also, for everyone listening, you've all seen Sharp Edges. It's like such a stunning book. It's Mm -hmm. beautiful. The cover is beautiful. The cover is incredible. Yeah. I feel like it's it's so nice to have a great cover of your book because... It you can't really like brag about your book being good. <laughs> you really you can totally so brag about the cover. <laughs> you Honestly, can brag about someone else's work. <laughs> You're like, yeah, the the it wasn't me, but like it just yeah. happened oh. to look beautiful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it does. It really does. Yeah. Like I've seen it all over Bookstagram. It's very eye catching. It's gorgeous. Um, so we definitely want to hear more about it. It was your debut, right? Yeah. So it came out last year, kind of like a very, very dark coming of age book. Ooh, and, love that. Yeah. And it was obviously, you know, tough to get published and all of that. But I'm really glad it's out in the world and I'm working on something brand new. So, yeah, that's, that's fun. so exciting. Do you want to tell us what it's about? Sure. What Sharp Edges is about? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so it's basically about um, a girl, Katie, who's in high school, and she kind of like loses her best friend to a guy, and she's in a tough spot. Her mom is not really taking care of her the way that she should, and Katie kind of like gets involved in this online world of basically of sex work um, and starts mm-hmm. selling her underwear online to men. Oh, I've thought oh about that gosh. so many years. Yeah. Oh. There's like that meme. We got all the things to say. There's like the meme three round where it's like, "Uh, I'm not gonna, but like you're taking a picture of your foot, like, "Mm, uh, but maybe I could. But like, if someone would buy it, I would do it in a minute. Oh my God. What are you talking about? Like, it's free. It's literally cost me like nothing. I don't care. I know, right? I I love this. I I thought about it so many times. It's really funny how many times I've told like women about this book and Everyone has either thought about it yeah. or done it yeah. or done something like it or thought about it. Like it's really, it just That's shows funny. where we are with like needing money. Right. <laughs> yes. <As a> society. <laughs> and also yeah. like what people will pay for. Yes. You know? People pay yes. for crazy things. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So anyway, so she's selling her underwear on the internet. Yeah. And it just kind of like goes, it gets worse and worse from there. Obviously, oh my gosh. Like, I'm very much a big like supporter of sex work as a whole, but you know she's a teenager in the book, so that's where yeah. the, the the sort yeah. of bad things start to happen. Yeah, and it just gets worse, and then there's a bit of hope at the end. So, did you do yeah, research cool. into this book, like about? Oh yeah, how yes. hard it is to okay? T- is it hard so to find much research? Okay, 
How hard is it to sell your underwear online? Is it like medium? It is. Chelsea's like, I do. I'm gonna plan. I'm gonna do this. It's just like if it was (laughs) not that hard. (laughs) It's really hard. I'm sorry to disappoint you. Like it is actually. Yeah, it's totally not worth it unless you're a person who like can spend all of your time online. Um, oh yeah, gotcha. It really it's it's a full time job to make any money at all, and most of the time it goes along with like all the other things that you do in online sex work. Sure, you can't yeah. really make any money if you're just selling your underwear. Yeah, that makes okay. sense. that I'm makes out. sense. That's disappointing. Yeah. But all right, I guess if it was yeah. easy, everyone would do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, speaking of having full-time jobs that are not sex work, you are an editor at uh, Mira. Can you tell us a little bit about, like, what does an editor do? Because I feel like it's like this, the editor is, you know. Yes, I agree. I think it's like you guys are the make or break of books in this industry. Like, tell us, what do you do? And also, it's like such a glamorized job. I feel like you see it in movies and especially with magazines specifically. But yeah. you see, like, all these chic, like, oh, she's a magazine editor for Vogue. And you're just like, man, that's literally the dream. So I'm curious what it's actually like. Yeah, it's not that glamorous. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, Chris is Vogue. <laughs> it's very disappointing, but it really is. I mean, sometimes there will be, like, you know, mimosas at an author. Oh, even great. Hey. That's, yeah, that's about as, like, as glamorous as it gets um <laughs> it really is just so much work and I think that most of us are in it because we really love books um, yeah but there just isn't like the money is not good yeah 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 I, like, and we work I've a lot about it because I'm like you know who, do, who doesn't want to work in books all day that sounds amazing and I've looked yeah. at it and and since and you're lucky you live in Toronto, but so many have to live in New York, right? Yeah, and, the, and Toronto the pay is, is atrocious. Like ridiculous now as well. It's just Oh gosh. Yeah. I'm basically at the point where like if we lose our current apartment, then it will be very difficult to to afford a place yeah. in yeah. Toronto yeah. now yeah. anymore. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So it's tough. It's really it, it, it is tough, but it's also a job that like I think about would I want to do something for eight hours a day that I don't love as much. I'd yeah. rather do mm-hmm. something that I do for 12 hours a day and that I really love. Um, yeah. And I love my job. I really love my job. So. So what's like a normal day for you? Yeah, it's always a little bit different, which is is kind of part of the reason I love it. I think it's never boring. We really do everything as editors. So we start with acquisitions so that Mira, for example, doesn't take um, unsolicited or mm-hmm. unagented, sorry, submissions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you have to have an agent to submit, but we get a lot of submissions from agents and we fall in love with things and then we um, take them to our team. And if we can acquire them, then that's great. We buy them. And then we work with the authors through, you know, the big editing, through the smaller editing, and then basically we're the point of contact for the author throughout the process with everyone else on the team. So even as they're going through publicity and stuff, we're often um, included in that as well. Wow. So how many books or authors are you working with at any given time? And how many submissions are you trying to get through at the same time? Yeah. um, Right now, I think I probably have about 10 authors. Uh, Mm -hmm. on my list um so some of those authors are authors who publish a book a year 
or a little bit more than a book a year. Some of them are debut authors. So we'll see where sort of they go and how often they want to publish. And generally, I would say we try to publish with our imprint about 10 books per editor a year. Okay. Like originals. Yeah. Okay. I think that we, we publish a lot more than a lot of publishers, um, mm-hmm. mostly because we are such a commercial imprint. Yeah. But yeah. So it is, it's a lot, but it's, it's really fun. And it's really fun because my list is so varied. Like I do have, you know, the dark, the thrillers, the horror, but I mm-hmm. also have a rom-com on my list. So hmm. it's really oh, so fun. How is it? Is it separated by genre or not really? No. And I think some imprints are, and that's especially more like if you get into, you know, nonfiction fiction mm-hmm. or types of nonfiction, some imprints are, you know, romance focused or. Sure like horror focused or sci-fi focused, we are really an imprint that uh, publishes a little bit of everything because we like to both be able to promote those books to their best possible promotion in their space, um, Mm -hmm. but also because it just gives us the leg up when something gets popular, right? That way, if if a dark horror, like horror right now is having a moment. So that is something that we really want more of on our list because it's popular. So yeah, yeah. that makes sense. And how do you guys kind of see the trends? Is it based upon buying trends or is it in submission trends that you're seeing like, okay, we're going to be seeing a bunch more Um, horror because we're seeing a lot of submissions. So it seems like the trend is going that way or is it based on what's happening in market today? It's a little bit of everything. Like you really, nobody really knows what's going to be popular. Right. It's a lot harder. I think a lot of it is a guessing game. A lot of it though, we can base on things like TV, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, If a TV show is really popular, then we're going to see more submissions like that. And people, we we can prove that people, there's like a, there's a want for something, right? A desire right. for a type of material. Right. So that's usually how we get things through. It is tough because we have to use sort of current comparative titles that are doing well in the market. But again, mm-hmm. like a book might not be published for two years. So right. yeah, it's oh, that's, that's why I was that's why I was asking because I'm like, you could see something that is trending in the marketplace. That's why I think writers are told not to write to market necessarily mm-hmm. because what's trending now. By the time you get in and get through, you have it takes what maybe a year to write a book and then all the other stuff. So yeah. unless you're established, it's a lot harder to try to write to market. That's so crazy yeah. to me that people somehow anticipate. And then the other funny thing is that so many similar books, it seems, come out at the same time. Yeah. And it's like, how did everyone get on that wavelength? You know, like everybody wants a podcast book right now. <laughs> it's just yeah. crazy. Yeah. It's really like, funny how that happens, eh? Like I've, I've noticed that as well in submissions. We'll get like just three of basically the same thing all at once. Yeah. And it's so confusing because how did this all of a sudden become popular? Yeah, yeah. right. And you know, they're all just random people that felt yeah. like this was the right. It's crazy to me. But I think, I mean, that's the whole idea behind trends is that things start to like sort of gain momentum and it's like but how you know because some trends are like uh how are you a trend but people got super into it and then it just took off from there so do you get to decide like is it your personal preference of books that you see that are coming in or do you have business goals that are like okay I need to get two you know this year I have 10 books I need to publish two of them should be suspense you know 
three, you got to be romance, whatever. Like, or is it to completely like, okay, I like this book. So yeah, I want to try to acquire it. Or how does that work? Yeah, it it honestly is most of the time just like what we fall in love with. So that often ends up being a little bit varied just because we don't want to be working on things that are too similar all at the same time. Right. Um, It just, it gets, it's not as interesting. And so it really is like you fall in love with something. You have to spend so much time with a book as an editor that if you don't, like people ask me all the time if I buy things and I want to buy things because I think they're going to do well. And I really don't. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I want all of my books to do well. Yeah. But it's really got to be that like, I love a book so much that I want to talk about it all the time. Right. Okay. Like, yeah, a book that I want to sit with, I want to spend hours and hours and hours with. And I mm-hmm. also like the author is someone that I want to spend a lot of time with. No, that makes a lot of sense. How does that work is if you're acquiring and I know that like agents are involved, but do you get a chance to talk with the author directly or is it through only through the agents? Because I feel like that's such an important relationship, right? Yeah. So usually what happens in acquisitions is um, if you fall in love with a book, then you set up an author meeting. So you have a meeting that is you, the author and the agent all talking. And during Mm -hmm. that meeting, you usually like give your ideas on what you would sort of do with the book, what your what your thoughts are on like promoting it, Um, basically everything that the author could want to know about you and about your ideas of the book. And sometimes it does come down to that meeting, whether an author wants to go with you or not. A lot of the times it comes down to money. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's definitely a factor. And I've had really great author meetings that just I still lost out on because, you know, someone paid a ridiculous Mm -hmm. amount of money for the book. (laughs) But I've had great like I've had great author meetings where like I was able to get the book sort of ahead of time because I think we had a really good meeting. So Mm -hmm. okay, sometimes sometimes those do factor in hugely. Yeah. Okay. So does that make it really hard for you to read for fun? (laughs) Not really, actually. Like I really do still love reading. And I think part of it is Mira is a really commercial imprint and Mm -hmm. I love doing that for work. I do try to read things that are a little bit different for fun. So things that are on the more literary side and things that are not always necessarily genre, just to give myself sort of that distance and space. And I read at work on the computer all the time. So I really only read print. Yeah, I only really read print when I'm reading for fun. So it does feel automatically different, right? Okay, good. That's good. I was about to be really sad if you were like, yeah, this is all I read. And I'm like, no. (laughs) Or editors like that. Like it makes me really sad, but yeah. It makes sense though. I can see how you kind of burn out after a while. Yeah, exactly. You're just like, especially if you're, in a story all day every day I mean that's kind of what you're saying with the you have to love the books that you're working on because you're spending so Mm -hmm. much time in those worlds it's just like you You just get tired yeah 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 I can see what you mean totally (laughs) so get into this career did you want to be a writer did you want to work in the book industry or like what was your specific path yeah I started I kind of got into publishing because i was a writer and because mm-hmm. I did my master's in in creative writing and so I needed a job so yeah so I got 
luckily I got a job as a proofreader at Harlequin and just kind of worked my way up through the company. Mm -hmm. And it's very hard to get a job in publishing. And I really lucked out getting the job that I did to start off with. And are you remote or are you go to an office? We're hybrid. So oh, nice. in like a couple of days a week, it, it's fine. I don't mind going to the office. It just a little more flexibility, I think, is, is always nice. Yeah. Especially when you're living in a place like Toronto or New York, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good. So what was your favorite book that you read growing up that like really sparked your love for reading? Oh, that's such a good question. I was really like a voracious reader just forever. I can't, I don't even know if there's like a specific book that I can think of. I really loved the the Philip Pullman books when I was younger. I don't um, think I've heard of those. Wait. Philip oh, Pullman? like uh, the Golden Compass. Okay. Oh, okay. yeah. Okay, yeah. That, that I've heard. Those yes. ones were <laughs> those ones were like huge for me. And I'm not even like a fantasy reader. Mm -hmm. I've, I've I've never really read any other fantasy, um, except like a couple things. And that just really like I really loved those books. And so I think even as a kid, I was like, oh, this is like creating worlds is something that's something I would yeah. like to do. That is pretty amazing. So see, so creating worlds, when you're working with your authors, do you ever have like, hey, uh, is it like your idea of we should do this? And then the author either takes it or doesn't. I guess I'm trying to think of like how much influence do editors have on the book at the yeah, end? Yeah, I think it's world building, completely different. Yeah, it's, it's completely different with every author and with mm -hmm. every editor. I have authors who have been writing for like decades and they kind of come to me with their proposal and we talk about it and I sort of tell them if like how I feel about it and then they just go off and write an entire book. Mm -hmm. um, I have authors who I don't even really talk about their books at all and they just give me a full book. Um, and then <laughs> there are authors who especially most debut authors, I would say, I spend a lot of time yeah. Just yeah. talking to them, talking them through things and also just helping, helping with like structure, I feel like is the biggest thing. Okay. Um, most, most first time authors structure and like pacing are the biggest issues. Yeah. And they're also very difficult and they're, they're really hard they to see <laughs> from the inside. Right. Yeah. 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 So those are the places where I feel like I've had kind of the biggest influence on how a book looks but mm -hmm. it's really fun because you really get to do you really get to provide input onto into everything and the author takes it or leaves it like as they want and that's great too yeah. it's great to like see an author figure out a new way to deal with something as you're like giving them suggestions and maybe it's not even your suggestion that's still like you've still done something so yeah mm -hmm. that's yeah. pretty cool so how has working with those debut authors helped you when you were doing your debut, when you're writing your debut book? I don't really know, honestly. I feel like I was just willing as a debut author to write so many drafts and to go over things so many times. Yeah. And I had a lot of patience. And I think that that's probably due to working with authors. Yeah. Um, and just knowing, like, I tell authors all the time, like, there will be an end to this. You will, every draft will be better. And I think that telling myself that is important. Yeah. And, and I think that 
really just like having knowing my editor is very super supportive and my agent was super supportive and I know that our authors have that same support so I think that's the most important thing when you're a debut author is just having that really good support system that's awesome this has been very fascinating. I it really has. I feel like I learned so head. much. Yeah. <laughs> that's, oh my gosh. Yeah, that was really interesting. I feel like that's something that we never really hear that side of publishing. So I think that's really cool. Yeah, especially oh, readers. I think readers, you know, they get readers, we pick up a book and we're just like, great, there's this book. But yeah, the, everything that goes into it is the, it's just, it's fascinating to me. Once you just start digging in and like how many people touch a book, it's not just a writer that's just yeah. like, hey, I wrote a book. Like there's oh my so gosh, I much. Know. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of people who work on books. And it's so funny working in publishing because you like forget that people don't know just sort of like the basics of the industry because it does yep. feel so secretive. And so like there's just no reason for people to know these things, right? Like the book comes out, they read it. That's their experience of the book. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting. I just get a lot of questions about working in publishing and I kind of have to remind myself that like people don't actually know anything about no. publishing. <laughs> no, <laughs> absolutely not. Like, I mean, up until in the last couple of years was the only time I started like, oh, how does this even happen? And yeah. right. oh, you don't yeah. just, oh, wow. You like, even when the book is sold to uh, a publishing house, it's still 18 months to two years before yeah, it comes yeah. out. Like that's The amount of time always amazes people. I yeah. know. And I like, it makes sense to me because I understand how it works, but it's tough to mm-hmm. explain it to authors, right? Because you yeah. have to go through like, well, like this takes this long, this takes this long, every this mm-hmm. has to happen before this does. It's just, yeah. it, it all makes sense, but it is daunting. Yeah, I can, I could definitely see that. Could yeah. Definitely see that. Okay, so do we want to talk about Pub Day? Yeah, we do. All right, today is Tuesday, October 10th. And it is pub day. I have six books I'm going to tell you about today. The first one up is called Phantom by Helen Power. This is horror Love from the title. Cat Books. Yeah, right. Phantom. Love. Uh, would you sell your hand for a million dollars? I would not. <laughs> Reagan, Thanks for asking. Yeah, you're like, and <laughs> next one. Okay, I would so not. Reagan, Roz Osborne is broke. Her ex-boyfriend won't take no for an answer and no one is taking her artwork seriously. So when a mysterious stranger offers her a million dollars and safety from her unstable ex in exchange for her left hand, she can't afford to refuse. Yes, she can. Um, Immediately following the amputation, she's racked with insufferable phantom limb pain. Desperate for relief, she enrolls in an experimental drug trial. But this drug has a peculiar side effects. She develops a psychic connection to her missing limb. Stop she it. soon discovers that Chicago's long dormant phantom strangler is now wearing her hand and is <laughs> using it to kill. What? That's what this guy's dying right now. Like, this is not the turn I thought it would be taking. <laughs> so all the way. Oh, my God. I want this book. I have to have it. Okay. This It's a lot. It's a lot. There's so much happening. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So that's Phantom by Helen Power. Um, I love it. Okay, the next one is called Hearts of Darkness by Jana Monroe. Mm. This is a true crime from Abrams. Jana Monroe was no ordinary cop, one of the first analysts and at the time the only female agent in the world-renowned FBI Behavioral Sciences Unit at Quantico, 
She consulted on more than 850 homicide cases, including infamous serial killers Ted Bundy, Dahmer, Kemper, and Eileen Warnos. Monroe was also the model for Clary Starling in the movie The Silence of the Lambs. She even helped train Jodie Foster for her award-winning role. Monroe's later years found her dealing with the aftermath of Columbine, heading up the FBI's post-9-11 investigation in Las Vegas, and much more. In Hearts of Darkness, Monroe steps out of the shadows to tell the story of her astonishing life in shaping law enforcement and intelligence analysis. Monroe explores the cases that have stayed with her, breaking down victimology, offering new insight into the minds of serial killers, and discussing the psychological toll of the job and the obstacles she faced as a woman in the male-dominated bureau. This is a gripping, sometimes gruesome, and always remarkable memoir of an unparalleled life and a career spent chasing the monsters among us. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Yep, Hearts of Darkness by Jana Monroe. I love that. I would like and that. And that sounds true really crime. good. Yeah, right? I'm a huge true crime fan, so that sounds yep, really good. That you are in the right place. That's a same yeah. here. We're just, oh, love it. Yeah, um, it yeah awesome. it sounds so... I also love that they're going to be talking about the mental toll that it takes. Mm. I've read some books recently, uh, nonfiction ones, and it's not all of them talk about it, but some do. And it's yeah. just, man, it's heartbreaking. Okay, anyway, moving on. Becoming the Boogeyman by Richard yes. Heismer. Right. This is a thriller from Gallery Books. This is a yeah, sequel to Chasing the Boogeyman. Crazy. This is a riveting, haunting sequel to the New York Times bestselling thriller, A Tale of Obsession and the Adulation of Evil, exploring modern society's true crime obsession with unflinching honesty, sparing <laughs> no one from the glare of the spotlight. I feel like it's really like this is awkward. I did this. Yeah. <laughs> like, whoops. Well, this is uncomfortable. It's just oh, like, wow. way to call us out, Richard. Yeah. Are <laughs> we? Um, will those involved walk away from the story of a lifetime in order to keep their loved ones safe? Or will they once again be drawn into a killer's web? As the story draws to its shattering conclusion, only one person holds all the answers, and he may, he just may be the most terrifying monster of them all. That's Becoming the Boogeyman. Huh. All right, next up, You Always Come Back uh, by Emily Smith. This is a psychological thriller from Crooked Lane Books. Um, nine years ago, July Weaver's little sister was one of the first victims of the Pacific Lake Killer, a serial killer in Georgia. When other girls began to disappear and were found dead, it was July's testimony that put her own father into prison for the crimes. After the sentencing, she fled to Nashville to focus on her music career and to try to forget the horrible past. When her brother tries to kill himself, July is forced to come back home and reunite with her four remaining siblings. What she isn't expecting is to uncover new evidence that makes uh, her question everything that happened to her sister nine years ago. Of course. Yeah. Is it, possibly that, is it possible that July blamed the wrong person? Is it possible Probably. that Pacific Lake Killer is still out there? Yes. As the linchpin to the case against her father and the reason the Pacific Lake Killer case is closed, July knows it isn't long before the killer will set their eyes back on her if they're really still out there. It's literally tale as old as time. Tale as old <laughs> as time. You turn in your family, then you're like, wait, hold on one second. And like, then the real oh, killer comes. Shoot. Did I really need to do that? That's um, Dark Places. Gillian Flynn has the same kind it's of- It's every book. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's every book. I'm literally. interested. I hope that the twist on this is that he really did do it and she keeps him in jail. Even if he really did it, that's also every book. <laughs> oh, my God. It's not. It's every, everything's been done in some yeah, way. This is true. I agree. Like, it's done, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I'm still going to read it. So, you know, I mean, obviously, yeah. that goes with <laughs> And it's saying, yeah. no, I'm going to read, you know? Like, you're like, yep, that's a trope I'm into. Okay. Oh, I'm into Next it. Next yeah. one, I have two more. Close Enough by Catherine A. Olson. This is a mystery thriller from Crooked Lane Books. 
Dylan Truman, better known under her alias Lady Justice, is the bane of every grifter, cheater, and bully in the Bay Area. Alongside her best friend and hacktivist, Daniel Haas, she works as a revenge for hire vigilante seeking retribution on behalf of her predominantly female clientele. I am going to buy this book. When a prospective client brings up fraud complaint against pharmaceutical CEO Brent Wilder, Dylan's business becomes personal. Years earlier, Wilder assaulted Dylan's sister and got away with it. And now it's time to make him pay. This time it's personal. But she may be doing it alone. Daniel's ready to leave the business and settle down with a stable and safe job. Dylan is devastated. Not only is she losing her partner and one of the most talented digital private investigators in the city, she's beginning to realize her feelings for Daniel are deeper than she thought. But with Brent's increasing paranoia comes life-threatening danger and Dylan must keep her head in the game. With the clock running out Mm. fast, Lady Justice must choose between vengeance at any cost and giving it all up for the man who may actually love her back. Dylan's always tried to protect those she loves by walking her path alone, but perhaps there is another way to ensure justice is served. Immediately, this makes me think of Zero Days by Ruth Ware. Have you oh, read it? Oh, okay. I have it's, yet to read that, um, and I'm very excited like, to. They're very similar. The term hacktivist is used, I will say. Okay. And I will okay. never forget how annoyed I was. <laughs> Why do we call yourself anything? Words. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Like, honest. Okay. Anyway, that's what it sounds anyway, like. Anyway. But we're not judging hacktivists. Good jobs, guys. Don't hack us, please. I'm not. <laughs> yeah. Last one. The Leftover Woman by Jean Kwok. Ooh. Uh, Jasmine Yang arrives in New York City from her rural Chinese village without money or family support, fleeing a controlling husband on a desperate search for the daughter who was taken from her at birth. Another female casualty of China's controversial one-child policy. With her husband on her trail, the clock is ticking as she's forced to make increasingly risky decisions if she ever hopes to be reunited with her daughter. Meanwhile, publishing executive Rebecca Whitney seems to have it all. See, this is is why we all think this, Leah. Has it all. (laughs) A prestigious family name and wealth that comes with it. (laughs) Oh, my God. And you're like, like, it's a lie. So glamorous. (laughs) (laughs) So Rebecca has a high-powered career, beautiful home, handsome husband, and an adopted Chinese daughter she adores. She's even hired a nanny to help her balance the demands of being a working wife and mother. But when an industry scandal threatens to jeopardize not only Rebecca's job, but her marriage, this perfect world begins to crumble and her role in her own family is called into question. The leftover woman finds these two unforgettable women on a shocking collision course, twisting and suspenseful and surprisingly poignant. It's a profound exploration of identity and belonging motherhood and family it is a story of two women in a divided city separated by severe economic and cultural differences yet bound by a deep emotional connection to a child yep sounds good yeah that sounds sounds really really good good. yeah and yeah she's a super talented author too i think if i remember right one of her books was like being banned and she flew from like the netherlands over to testify at this like small I think it was Jean Kwok. I'm pretty sure. Oh, that's that so cool. Fell. Yeah, yeah. It was like, here's my book's been used in the past for things. So I love it. Um, wow. If it's not Jean Kwok, then I'm sorry. I then it's someone else cool. So. Somebody else really did do it. We, Someone did we it. know they're cool. <laughs> yeah, they're super cool. So, yeah. Yeah. so anyway, that's it. Happy pub day to all of those Woo! authors. Congratulations Yay. and listeners. I hope you found something new to pick up this week. Okay, so my book this week came out in August of this year, it is None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Ooh, and oh, so yeah, 
I haven't read it yet. I'm so excited. It's my favorite of hers. I'm going to say it now. My favorite one I've read. She's, I mean, you'll probably know her from The Family Upstairs, The Family Remains, The Invisible Girl, The Night She Disappeared, etc. But this is the most thrilling of these books because if anyone out there has read The Family Upstairs, it's like a mystery, you know? Family Mm -hmm. Remains, mystery. All the books are kind of a mystery, but this felt Mm -hmm. more of like a real thriller. So this book is about Alex Summers, who was a popular podcaster looking for something for her next season. So she goes out to celebrate her 45th birthday. And when she's out, she meets Josie, who is her birthday twin. Um, So they're born on the same day. They're even born at the same hospital and they meet each other celebrating. Yeah. So I thought it was really cool. Suspicious. Yeah, I read <laughs> immediately. I'm like, mm, that other chick is not real. No, something's wrong. <laughs> when they bump into each other a few days later, Josie is like, oh, I've been listening to your podcast um, and I have a story that I want to tell you. So what follows is a deep dive into the sordid history of a woman who is complicated um, and she's a little bit off. Josie's hiding something. And the more that Alex digs into her life, the less that she wants to know. So she's like, ooh, I like this podcasting thing, but you're creeping me out. Josie doesn't want <laughs> Josie doesn't want Alex to like stop paying attention to her and soon invites herself to stay in Alex's home. Wait, so um, uh-huh. be rude. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just kick him out. So then okay. all these freaky things start happening and it all ends with Josie going missing. Oh um, no. Alex is like, well, let's find out what's going on because this weird lady lived in my house and now she's gone and I don't really know what her deal is. It was wild. So the setting is outside of London and the characters are Alex, who's the podcaster, and she's also a wife, a mother of two. Josie is the mysterious woman with the same birthday. Alex's husband is Nathan and Josie's husband is Walter. So those are the main characters. Thoughts? This book was creepy. It was twisted. I was like, okay. internate. First of all, it's like probably my worst nightmare when guests come and they won't get out. Like that. Oh my god! Is- yeah. <laughs> but you're straight like, up. leave, leave. Oh my it's god! It's a horror. Yeah. It's have a you horror. Seen, it's like, have you guys seen that? Like, uh, I think it was on, on Netflix. Netflix. Yeah, yes. that thing is like the like tenants who just won't get yes, out. Yes, they don't ever yes. leave. That's oh, terrifying. My god. The worst roommate. That's what it's called. Yeah. Yes. 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 It's worst case scenario. I'm like, I I don't even know what. And like, you can see her in that super uncomfortable situation and be like, no. And then she's like, yeah. And you're just like, oh, why are you so polite? I would be like, get out of my house. Exactly. Literally. Get out. She's (laughs) so, it freaked me out. The book was super dark and like damp. And you kind of feel like you're being dragged underwater as you're reading oh, and you're just like oh, suffocating. Yeah. It's just what an amazing description of a book, Chelsea. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. I should be a writer. <laughs> JK, I could never. Um, but that's how it felt. I was like, I'm literally, I feel suffocated by reading this and it freaks me out. I hate the feeling of like, it was like a feeling of being watched and also being smothered. I loved it, but I hated it. But I loved it, but I hated it. Oh, my gosh. uh, There was also snippets from a Netflix documentary sprinkled through the book, um, Mm. which was awesome. It was a great way to give context. It was a fun way to make sure you got more information about what was going on. So that was really fun. 
what worked about this book, it was dark. I'm happy that sometimes Lisa Joel will like sugarcoat dark things or like skip over it. But in this book, she did not shy away from the darker themes, which I really liked. There was a lot of points about power, the power of being a woman and what makes something actually the truth. And there were so many levels of deception and dysfunction that you really couldn't tell what to believe. And so the book kept me guessing into the last chapter, which I loved. It felt like a true thriller. What didn't work is that the ending wasn't laid out. So you are left with questions. So I can okay. see how that might be a little, mm-hmm. little open-ended. Annoying. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Trigger warnings are stalking, gaslighting, domestic abuse, child abuse, sexual abuse, and grooming. I rated it 4.5 stars. And similar books are I Have Some Questions for You by Re- Rebecca Mackay, which I talked about recently. Well, episodes ago. Yeah. Yeah. I, in episode 44. I talked about that one. And another similar book is All Good People Here by Ashley Flowers, and mainly Mm. because of the podcast and missing person element. So, And you talked about that uh, episode two, I think, I want to say. That seems right. You know, that was a year ago. Who could say? Yeah, Yeah. not me. Who can say? (laughs) Who can say? (laughs) Anyway, that's None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. I highly recommend it if you like her books. I hope this will be your new favorite because it was my new favorite. So... So good. That is awesome. And it was a book of the month choice. So you can pick it up through there if folks are using your your subscription. Um, oh, yeah. If yeah. you need a code, check out my. Just <laughs> <laughs> kidding. Hey. Actually, um, no. But yeah. um, okay. Leah, cool. do you want to talk about your book? Yes. Yeah, sure. Okay. So I chose Mother Thing by Ainsley Hogarth. I think it came out in September last year. It's kind of horror, kind of suspense kind of literary. And it's also really funny, which I think is like a great mix. I really love like dark horror that is also really funny. So this book is about Abby, who works in a long-term care home. And she's been sort of living not her best life. Uh, she and her husband, Ralph, moved in with Ralph's mother a while ago. And it's basically been hell for Abby. And Abby also desperately wants to be a mother herself, but uh, she has not had a good role model herself. So she kind of is looking to her favorite woman in the care home, her favorite resident, and sort of living her best mother life through her. The book actually starts when Abby's mother-in-law takes her own life and her husband Ralph falls into a terrible, terrible depression. So things just get worse from there. As Abby tries to hold everything together, she realizes that Ralph is actually being haunted by his mother um, and she and is like talking to her and thinks that she hasn't died and she starts to also be haunted by this dead woman who is like cruel and horrible oh my gosh yeah and along the way she there's sort of like a side story that ends up being really important about her favorite resident in the care home And her daughter, that woman's daughter wants to take her out of the care home and is saying that she actually was like a terrible mother and Abby like will not let her go. It's a really intense, really funny, like really dark book. And it's one of those books that there is a level of like not really knowing what's going on, but I'm pretty sure everything in it is really happening. And it's not just like a mental illness book. So it's really, it's really intense. Like it's, it's very good. The voice is great. The The dark humor is great. And I also think the author does tension really well, which is really important in horror. There's a moment in the beginning when Abby 
actually steals the ring from her her mother-in-law's finger because she doesn't want it to be buried with her. And it creates like a ton of tension because Ralph, her husband, can't understand how the ring could have disappeared. And that's part of what makes him question whether his mother is actually dead. Oh my um, gosh. <laughs> yeah. And so it's actually a difficult conflict. But the whole time you're like, like every page you're like, oh my God, Abby, like what are you going to do with this ring? Like just figure out a way to like give it back or like make it okay. <laughs> and she's just not doing it. And it's so frustrating, but so good. The thing about trigger warnings, I... I wasn't actually sure. And then I looked on the story graph. Oh my God. The amount of trigger warnings for this I are. Know. Yeah. Like, there he is. Yeah. Everything. Like yeah. the top ones were suicide, cannibalism, murder, what? mental illness, sexual assault, and fertility issues. Um, cannibalism. So yeah. That yeah, came out cannibalism. Nope. I know. Okay. It's, it's, it's like they uh, spoiler so i don't want to go into it but yeah it, yeah, there, yeah there is there is cannibalism in it oh but see my sometimes God. it's those trigger warnings that are like oh actually yes i definitely want to read that now yes. yeah. Oh, yeah yeah now yes. i do that is awesome do you, do you know of any other books that are similar to it that you can think of yeah uh, it reminded me a lot of uh it reminded me of night bitch a lot okay um, also, A Touch of Jen, which is a great... I don't think that that book got as much attention as it should have gotten. It was a really good book. And then it reminded me of like Otessa Moshfeg and Lona Awad mm-hmm. quite a bit. Just like that voicey sort of horror. That sounds awesome. Yeah, that does sound awesome. Yeah, it's um, great. The, like, the nursing home thing gives me like heebie-jeebies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And also the cannibalism. Well, yeah, the cannibalism doesn't help. Just, yeah, I, I'm actually just like, cool, you know, whatever. No, uh, <laughs> no. Thank you so much for sharing that. My book is called Sing Her Down by Ivy Pakoda. It was released on May 23rd of this year. It's 288 pages and eight hours on audio. And this subcategory is crime fiction western thriller. Oh, so interesting. Very, yeah, very different from what I thought. I had no idea what to expect. And honestly, I'll just say it now. This is in my top five books of the year. Like, oh, wow. incredible. Oh, so good. Okay. So basic synopsis. You've got Florida, Dios, and Case. And they are all prisoners in a women's prison in Arizona in 2020, a few months into the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So as happened, some prisoners were deemed eligible to be released early. And both Florida and Dios were two convicts that were released in about June 2020. You guys probably remember that happening. People were getting out of prison early. Florida and Dios do not get along. Both women are incredibly violent, although Florida acts like she's not, which Dio hates, and they share a secret. Once they get out of prison, Dios begins following Florida as she skips parole and takes an illegal bus ride from Chandler, Arizona to L.A. Lobos is a detective in L.A. who is alerted to a wave of violent crimes that she is able to tie to Florida and Dios and is chasing the women. So that's kind of the setup of the story. Characters. Case is a prisoner in Arizona. Um, she's Florida Selly. She's a psych- she says she's a psychic medium and believes she's talking to the victims of all of the murderers in the pod. She's also kind of oh. a narrator for the story. Oh, cool. Yeah. So it's kind of like that third person omniscient narrator, but it's like clearly they're telling a story. So it's kind right. of also second person. So it's like talking to you as the reader. Yeah. Um, so when, when she has her chapters. Then you have Florida, who's an upper class, rich white girl who was neglected, ignored and abused. And she's trying to get back to L.A. to get to her Jaguar from her mom, um, because that's the only thing that matters to her is this car. 
Dios okay. is a scholar, scholarship kid from Brooklyn who has a grudge against families and people like Florida because of how they treated her when she stood up for herself against the boy of a rich white family when she was at the school. Uh, she is obsessed with making Florida own and acknowledge who she is, the violent person she is. Okay. Lobos is a detective in L.A. She's on high alert because she recently had a restraining order put on her abusive ex-husband. And really, he's on the edge of sanity. It's like he's like kind of terrifying. And she looks for him throughout the entire throughout the book through the many tent cities that they search for the women. So hands down, this is one of the best books I've read. The whole story talks about how women have the capabilities to be just as violent as men. Hmm. There's a lot of talk about the murders and if women could have really done, if the women could have really done these things. Meanwhile, all the women are prone to violence either in their own minds or by their own hands. The prose is spectacular. It's so beautiful. I felt like I was reading literature, not commercial fiction, which is why I categorize this really as firmly as a crime thriller. Yeah. Uh, or crime fiction. The setting and the time frame work so well. It is spectacular. The cities are deserted. So she's talking about being in Phoenix and being in LA and how it was deserted and the streets were all boarded up. And remember yeah, June 2020 was also when we were having all of the the protests and things that were happening from yep. George Floyd fallout. So we also see from uh, Lobo's point of view as a cop during that time as well. Um, hmm. There are tent cities and homeless encampments are growing exponentially. There are violence in the streets, a suspicion of the government, conspiracy theories are becoming the norm. Yeah, I like I read it super fast. I will fully admit I read it today, this morning. And wow. It was so fast. I I had to stop. But next time I, I want to read it again, more slowly to savor it. There are several times I stopped yeah. reading just to take in the lyrical prose and the themes and was like, I literally, there were times where I was like, holy crap. I've never wanted to highlight and like annotate a book, but this one makes me want to go in and like, I've got to highlight those passages. Yeah. Like, some things are just so, oh, so well-written. Um, wow. The setting is Phoenix and LA. Trigger warnings are violence, COVID, homelessness, domestic violence, rape, and other things, I'm sure. I can't remember everything. What worked? Pretty much everything. What didn't work? The prose can be, the lyrical prose can be very amazing. And this is just my personal pet peeve in general, but sometimes it can be over the top. I don't, yeah. I find it difficult to believe that characters are going to use descriptive hyperboles in speech in that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was a little bit that kind of took me out of it. However, when they're talking in their own head or telling the story it doesn't bother me. So it was like, it was super minor, five stars, top five reads what? for this year. Oh. Similar things are No Country for Old Men, Killing mm-hmm. Eve. And anything written by S.A. Cosby. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah wow. So great. High yeah. praise. Yes. Ivy Fakoda awesome. sing her down. So Wow. Cool. That sounds good. Well, Leah, thank you so much for coming on with us today. This was so fun. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, it was great. It was so nice to talk about publishing and to meet you. Yeah. And if people well, want to find you on social media, where can they find you? I use instagram and twitter um just under my own name and and that's about it cool perfect okay that's great and if anybody wants to reach out to us at the podcast you can dm us on instagram at thrillers by the book club pod or you can reach out to me at thriller book babe or me at olivia day wallace Thank you so much for hanging out with us today i hope you found something new to read and you know if you have to some time to kill read a thriller Bye. Bye.